1910, Hollywood's Christian mecca had to face a dreaded decision. Do they fight to remain the Christian utopia they had set out to with growing churches, schools, and a devout Christian community? Or, because of unfortunate circumstances, do they merge with Los Angeles and hope to maintain their Christian culture? This is the forgotten history of Hollywood and its surprisingly Christian roots all the way through. I'm Chris Wineland, and this is the podcast that combines Hollywood stories you might know with Christian stories you don't know. This is Forgotten Hollywood. Today, we're going to talk about Hollywood in a way you probably have not heard before and what made it change to the anti-Christian culture it seems to display today. I'm really excited for this episode as this is the history that drove me to learn more about entertainment history and the Christianity history inside the entertainment industry. Uh, But first, it's time for a pop quiz. Here, Here you go. Let's see if you know this. What was the name Hollywood? What was Hollywood named after? Was it A, a pagan symbol, B, holly leaves, C, a person's name, or D, the word holiness? I'll reveal the answer in just a bit, but before I do, let me tell you how I came to learn a majority of the genesis of Hollywood. I was 17, and I had the ambition at the time to become a renowned movie director, okay? Don't judge me. I started writing screenplays at 14, and I even created a full-blown production company at the age of 16, with the help of my dad. Uh, I wrote, I directed, and I produced a movie that my whole town came to see, and the Tribune newspaper even did a page on my journey, um, and you're never going to see that movie, because it was absolutely horrible. Um, it was probably one of the worst I've ever felt sitting in the back of this premiere, packed with people, and realizing in that moment, not before, but in that moment, that I had made the most terrible movie to ever exist. It was, um, it was not good. It was supposed to be a drama, and it wasn't. It was laughable the whole time. And so, I felt so embarrassed. I decided that I was going to look elsewhere in the entertainment industry. Hence, becoming a comedian and an actor, because I definitely was able to make people laugh. Uh, although I think that at that time was accidental. Um, but I still had a love for the film industry, and I, I can't remember if I found the book myself or if someone else did. But I had stumbled upon a book that talked about every Christian movie ever made. And I, I, sadly, I cannot find the original book. It was a long time ago, and uh, it doesn't seem to be in publication anymore. So if I ever find it, I, I promise you on one of these episodes, you will hear me shout it from the rooftops because it is one of the most vital and incredible books, uh, just insightful books to read about the entertainment industry. But the book told the origin of Hollywood in a way that shook me. And there's other resources as well, which you can always check out our citations so that you can find for your own self this history that we're talking about. But it describes in that book I had read and in other um, citations, it describes not just Christian movies, um, but the Christian culture around Hollywood. You see, before the 1960s, priests actually had a huge part to play in movies and TV shows. In fact, they would read the scripts and bless them before a movie could be made. Instead of the rating system that you know today, Hollywood even had their own Ten Commandments in order to maintain morality in movies. And one of the first movies ever made was about the life and death of Jesus. Um, So there's a lot of Christian history, but before we get ahead of ourselves, let's start at the very beginning.
On February 1st, 1887, Harvey Henderson Wilcox and his wife, Dieta Wilcox, officially founded Hollywood. Harvey, having been crippled from about a polio since the age of 13, never let his affliction interfere with his spirit to be successful. So he actually made a fortune in the real estate industry in Kansas before moving to California. When he did move to California, which makes sense as a real estate person, what he did was he purchased a lot of land. In fact, 160 acres located in the valley that we know today as Hollywood, um, right next to a very once sleepy settlement known as Los Angeles. So the Wilcox family founded the land and promptly named it Hollywood. Now, there have been many ideas and rumors and thoughts as to where the name Hollywood actually came from because the Wilcoxes, that's not their last name. So, you know, the question is, well, where did Hollywood actually come from? And uh, a popular belief lately has been that Hollywood was based off of a pagan symbol to honor the ancient Druids. However, there's no evidence to support that. Instead, the name Hollywood had a pretty innocent and kind of a dull explanation, actually. Even uh, even with others, uh, others have believed that it was possibly based off of a holly plant. Uh, but no, the, the most credible reason is that Hollywood was named after uh, Dieta's friend from Chicago. Um, so uh, whether her name was Hollywood or her name was Holly or whatever, but uh, that, that's where it came from. So it came from just a, a friend's name, uh, and, and they called it Hollywood. And also contrary to, to current beliefs, Hollywood was not established as an evil elite group for powerful people to live in sin. Uh, I recently watched a documentary, and I wanted to reach out to them because I felt that what they had said about the origin of Hollywood made absolutely no sense, because that's what they said. They said, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure it came from paganism, and it was just this elite group, but they had no history at all. And so again, I think that this episode is really important for us to hear a forgotten history, because once we actually hear the history of where we've came come from and, and how we've got here, I think it helps us to, to navigate where we can move forward. Obviously, that's the point of history podcasts like this. So although Hollywood did not come from uh, a place of evil sin, uh, I, I get why we would think that because Hollywood is not at all the way that it set out to be. In fact, the visions of Hollywood today mirror, mirror nothing of its founders' visions. Um, both uh, the Wilcoxes, they were devout Christians who envisioned the land as the perfect site for a utopian-like community. A utopian in the sense that people could live a highly moral life free of vices, such as alcohol, gambling, and even, yes, motion pictures. In fact, the Hollywood town felt very strongly against motion pictures. Um, they felt it so much so that the motion picture business had requested permission many, many times to film in the beautiful land of Hollywood, only to get rejected time and time again. The town of Hollywood, all of the people there had overwhelmingly signed a petition to ban films from ever being made in their town. And we're going to talk about it later in this episode, but Christians were actually quite hesitant and cynical towards motion pictures early on, and later they strategized to help bring Christian morality into play. So the obvious question is, wait a second, if Hollywood was dead set against becoming a place for movies, how did it become the mecca for the movie industry? Well, there's a couple of things that happened. First, the patriarch of the town, Harvey Wilcox, died young at the age of 59, leaving behind 
a 28-year-old widow. So the wife was young. She was 28 years old. I could imagine probably in that culture being a young widow at the time and kind of having fears of how can the town survive. But another unfortunate hurdle would occur, and that was a significant drought. Hollywood found themselves lacking water, but Los Angeles, which was only a few miles away, Los Angeles was thriving in water and people. Hollywood's population at the time was 500 people compared to Los Angeles's bustling 100,000 people. Hollywood and Los Angeles, they were connected, but only by a single track streetcar. So um, the, the problem with that is that it would take about two hours to make the seven mile trip and the service was quite infrequent. Uh, instead of a regular schedule, it, it was an infrequent schedule. And so because of that, it made it harder and harder for the town to get water. Thus, the community of Hollywood voted to consolidate with Los Angeles in the year 1910. Shortly after the consolidation, a fledgling motion picture industry began growing exponentially. Uh, they had already tried and uh, to get into Hollywood, and thankfully, uh, or I guess thankfully to them, they're probably happy about it. Obviously, the Wilcoxes uh, would not be happy about it, but the industry immediately moved in as soon as they could. The mild climate, the terrain, everything was perfect for making movies. And so that's how it became you know, a, a place for the movie industry to come in quite quickly. And that was really the beginning of the end for Harvey Wilcox's dreams of a sober, conservative, religious community. Uh, kind of just faded away. And the senses of cinema kind of changed the style and the appearance of the town. Hollywood became known quite quickly throughout the world as the a center of an industry uh, that was built on fantasy and fame and glamour. So you could uh, pretty much surmise that uh, this is not at all what the Wilcoxes had set out to do, but because of a drought, uh, it ended up becoming what we kind of know today. So um, here's the good news. Before we just go, oh man, that's that's terrible. The good news is actually that Christians didn't take this on as a full-on defeat and leave and say, okay, well, that's it. Uh, we're going to have nothing to do with the movie industry because we didn't want anything to do it in the past. No, actually, the Christians back then had a lot more tact than possibly Christians do now. Um, so, so here's what they did. They got involved and they placed their influence at the very top of Hollywood. Um, they made sure to be an influential part. But before I go into those details, it's important to know that some of the first movies ever made were based on the Bible. Two reasons for this are actually rather simple. First is that a high majority of filmmakers at its pilgrimage were Jewish. Uh, for them to use the Old Testament stories which tell their heritage would be strategic and celebratory for them. The other reason motion picture companies were so inclined to make biblical-based movies and, and of course, Jesus movies even, is because they didn't want to have to pay for the rights. They were a cheap industry, all right? This industry was cheap. They didn't want to pay uh, for rights to a story. Unlike other books where they would have had to pay an author, Bible stories were well-known and free of royalty. So they knew a lot of people had already uh, known the Bible stories, so basically bring it to life. They didn't have to pay anybody for the rights to it, and uh, bada-bing, bada-boom, there's a movie. 
1903, a production company in France uh, would be the first to make one of the first full-length movies. In fact, some would argue that it is the very first full-length movie, um, and it was about Jesus. It was called The Birth, Life, and Death of Christ, which was finalized in 1908. Uh, it took them a, a couple of years to kind of finalize the movie. There was also a short film in 1903 about Samson and Delilah. Um, there has been quite a lot of movies all the way from the very beginning uh, about Abraham and the flood, which I'll talk on a later episode uh, about some of the movies from the flood because there's some very unique and random um, behind-the-scenes stories on that. And, of course, you are probably familiar with very famous movies such as The Ten Commandments and um, movies about Moses like The Prince of Egypt. But, you know, all the way in the very beginning, in the early 1900s, movie studios would make quite a bit of movies about the Bible. So the Bible already had its voice in the industry quite early on. But Christians were kind of split. Uh, they, they didn't know whether they should embrace uh, the industry or go against the industry and try to shut it down. But as you already know, we live in a society where movies and television really kind of took over. And so uh, a lot of Christians started to realize that they needed to get in on it and start to influence the culture with their already heavy influence in the country at the time. So one of the things that they did was they used a thing called the Hayes Code. Now, you and I are familiar with um, the parental guidance uh, you know, uh, system right now, which is PG, PG-13, rated R, and uh, a couple of things which I might talk about on a later episode or a bonus episode or something like that. But one thing that uh, I find so interesting is that even though it's the parental guidance, um, we don't know who runs it. It's a group of secret people. You can look it up. Um, and basically, there's even a documentary about it where it talks about uh, somebody had made this documentary where they were trying to figure out who the people are that are deciding why a movie is PG or why a movie is rated R. And what they had found out was while they were doing this documentary, um, the, the group actually tried to shut the movie down. And because of that, they randomly gave the movie a, a high uh, rating of NC-17, which basically means it will never air in a movie theater. And so um, the rating system to this day is very sketchy. Um, it, it's very uncertain uh, because, you know, you look at a movie uh, that, uh, you know, like The Goonies, and obviously that's PG, but you look at other movies that are PG-13, you go, well, hold on, why are they different? And it's really because they have deals with the movie industry to this day. Uh, in fact, Disney, um, there is proof that Disney has a lot of influence um, with the parental guidance group. So um, there, there's just a lot of weird stuff. But before any of that happened, there was this thing called the Hayes Code. Now, the Hayes Code was this self-imposed industry set of guidelines for all the motion pictures that were released between 1934 and 1968. That's about how long the Hayes Code lasted. And the code prohibited a few things. They prohibited profanity, a suggestive nudity, 
graphic or realistic violence, sexual persuasions, and rape. The Hayes Code basically had a uh, a ton of different criteria, but you know, here here's just a couple of things that I think is interesting, especially for sex in movies, because we see it very very differently um, today. This is what was not allowed um, in a movie due to the Hayes Code. So one was uh, adultery was not allowed. Scenes of passion was um, highly censored, and it would depend on uh, you know the context of that. Seduction and rape, it had to somehow benefit the story but not glorify seduction or rape. Um, sex perversion, that was all forbidden. White slavery uh, was not allowed. There were you know, no ridicule of ministers or religion. Um, that was not allowed at all for any reason in any of these movies. So if you ever go back and look at movies before, um, you know, the, the 1960s, you're going to see that a lot of these things don't exist. And then you get into the 1960s, and uh, pretty much after 1968, that's when the Hays Code ended, and uh, it kind of governed itself in a very different sense. And that's where you start to see, well, the sexual revolution was really big. And so because of that, everybody started to bring up um, sex. I mean, Deep Throat was a movie that was, you know, kind of the, the biggest one after the uh, Hays Code stopped existing. And, and so you move into all that stuff. But before, the Hays Code tried to do its best. It was basically like the Ten Commandments for Hollywood. Now, the only thing I will say about this is there's a couple of things that I don't think any of us would agree with in its um, you know, moral Ten Commandments, uh, including one of the things that it um, did not allow was interracial couples. Um, so that was, a, that was a big thing that the Hays Code would not allow at all, no matter what. And so obviously, there's a couple of things that I'm not um, condoning. Uh, I'm not saying that this was the, the best thing in the world, not at all. But what I wanted to bring up is that they tried, the attempt was to have a Ten Commandments in Hollywood that would keep morality. That was the intention. Now, the the idea was there, but I, I don't think that they did a great job um, of all of it. But there, uh, that was one way that they did it. But then there was another organization that kind of moved in as well, and it was called the Legion of Decency. Now, the Legion of Decency lasted a little longer. It lasted in 1980. It started in 1934, and the Legion of Decency was founded by Catholic priests, Although they would work with Jewish people and Protestants as well, they um, kind of all ended up working together at, at, at a point. But um, they would ascribe to rating films upon whether or not it lived up to biblical moral standards. Now, the Legion of Decency, they were quite influential and, and very powerful um, at the time because they had, they had different ratings to give movies, such as a C for Condemned and an O for Morally Offensive and would urge their over... Uh, two million member group and uh, sometimes reaching out to their members to sum up 20 million American Catholics um, to boycott and protest these offensive movies. They were very influential because if they would condemn a movie, um, the industry, Hollywood industry, would know that basically they're not getting anybody to come see their movie at the time. Um, so, uh, you know, it was, it was quite uh, a unique strategy. There was a lot of tact to it. Most condemned films were made outside of the United States for audiences. So that just shows how much Hollywood had followed along um, with this influence because it was pretty much for the most part outside of Hollywood that uh, that movies were, or were not listening um, to this legion here. 
Of the 53 movies that the Legion had placed on its condemned list by 1943, only Howard Hughes' The Outlaw was the product of a major U.S. studio. And Howard Hughes, um, who is very famous in the time, he was actually the first director ever to make a movie for a million dollars. So that's one of his claim to fames. But Howard Hughes' uh, movie, The Outlaw, he specifically made, uh, he wanted to show bosoms, and he knew that it was going to go against the Legion, and uh, he 100% did it on purpose. And so, um, so that was one of the few U.S. movies that went against the Legion, um, and, and it, it became condemned because of it. Some of the more famous uh, ones condemned were in the 60s and 70s, which makes a lot of sense because it goes back to what I was saying. The 60s was um, the beginning of the sexual revolution, and so people started to rebel, legitimately rebel against the idea of uh, religion, morality, um, Christianity, uh, Catholicism. They were rebelling quite passionately. And so in the 60s and 70s, you would see a lot more of these movies would be condemned. Um, uh, They include Dawn of the Dead, A Clockwork Orange, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Rosemary's Baby, just to name a few. The National Legion of Decency regrouped as the National Catholic Office for Motion Pictures in 1965, and they pretty much ceased their entire operations in 1980. But at the height of their time, they were very influential, and um, all the movies, a a vast majority of the movies as we just went through, they did their best to follow along because one of the things um, that is important to know at this time was that Christians were um, extremely influential. They were uh, Christians and Catholics were uh, by the millions um, in the United States. And so for them to go to a movie would be um, like gaining so many tickets and and so much profit. But what had happened in that uh, time is that there were still churches that did not quite trust the movie industry no matter what. And so there are legends. um, I'm going to try to get some facts for you um, in in the censors, but at least I wanted to share some of the legends. There are legends that back in the, in the, 30s, um, churches would excommunicate a church member if a church member was found going to a movie. And so there would actually be, uh, supposedly in the legends, there would be people that, uh, church members that would drive to a completely different county just to go see a movie like The Wizard of Oz because they didn't want to be excommunicated at their church, Um, which is ironic now because, you know, The Wizard of Oz to this day is usually a classic amongst every Christian. You know, every Christian is like, well, I love The Wizard of Oz. You know, it's a pretty easy movie. But back then, um, Christians were quite cynical of uh, the Hollywood industry. But Hollywood did everything that they possibly could to try to get Christians on their side and, and Catholics on their side. One of the things, uh, a perfect example, was I Love Lucy. They were doing episodes about, uh, well, she was expecting. They couldn't say the word pregnant or pregnancy. That, of course, was going against the Hays Code. But they were able to say expecting. Honey, no. Yes. Really? Yes. Why didn't you tell me? Well, you didn't give me a chance. Are you kidding? No. It's me! The only caveat to that is if they were to introduce the fact that Lucille Ball or Lucy's character was pregnant, that um, they had to get every script that would mention it um, read and blessed by the clergy. In fact, they had to get a, uh, a priest, a rabbi, and uh, a pastor to all read the script 
and bless it. This, of course, was written in a book by Jess Oppenheimer, who created I Love Lucy. He wrote a book called Laughs, Luck, and Lucy, How I Came to Create the Most Popular Sitcom of All Time. And so he mentions in the book about the pregnancy episodes. They absolutely had to get blessed by the clergy. The TV studio was very adamant on it. They said that they would not allow an episode to, to go through unless it was blessed by, uh, by a rabbi, a priest, and a pastor. That sounds like a joke, right? Like a rabbi, a priest, and a pastor walked into a, a studio or whatever. It sounds like a joke, but it's not. Um, that's very much how it happened. But the television industry in and of itself was kind of an unofficial child of the Hollywood industry, of the movie industry in a way. People were very uncertain about what television was going to be. Um, Christians were also just as cynical about that. But I Love Lucy became a hit, and uh, just the knowledge of priests blessing it really helped um, Christians and, and Catholics to have a lot of trust in a show like I Love Lucy. Television, by the way, this is interesting to know. Television started in a very unique way. It was invented by a man named Philo Taylor Farnsworth. Um, try saying that 10 times fast. And Farnsworth, he made uh, his first successful television transmission on September 7th, 1927. Now, the unique thing about Philo is that after it was made, um, and after it was created, and after he saw how TV became a place for um, stories and um, you know advertisements, Philo came out publicly saying that he thought that television was evil. He thought that he had accidentally created something from the devil. In fact, the, the legend goes that he wouldn't let his children watch television, even though he was able to profit off of creating um, television. And so, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a very unique and interesting idea. Um, but uh, it's also mentioned in uh, Ed McMahon's book called um, The Beginning of Television. Uh, and, and he talks about that as well, that Philo was quite paranoid that he had created something evil. Um, his intention of television, apparently, was he wanted uh, countries to be able to communicate. He thought that it might be a good way to see a game, uh, you know, like a football game or something like that. But he never thought that it was going to be a, a place where people sit in front of it um, for hours and hours. He thought that he had made something evil. And so then you get into, which we'll talk in another episode, what does uh, Christianity do with television later on? And of course, Billy Graham, I think, is a very awesome and influential experience and person that we can talk about later. But for now, it's important to know that when television was created, it was just as divisive as the movie industry was. And so Christians found themselves fighting this argument of, do I embrace the movie industry and the television industry with reasoning, or do I try to avoid it completely? And so that was an argument that I, I think we kind of still see to this day, but back then it was, it was rather strong. And the thing that's interesting to know is that in, in 1980 was pretty much the end of um, everything. The 1960s was the end of the Hays Code, but the 1980 was the end of the Legion of Decency. And right when we see all that, that's where everything kind of takes a turn for the worse. And we see Christianity less 
and less. Um, less movies that are, are biblically based, less movies that are focused on being morally upstanding, less movies that want to honor God. We also see around that time is when priests and pastors and Christians get mocked very heavily because as you uh, remember me saying, is that even in the Hayes Code, they were not allowed to mock religion or religious people. And so, um, you know, it's, it's quite interesting. The 1980s, that's where you get into Richard Pryor and and people that were really trying to push the envelope in, in this kind of way. And there was nothing combating that. There were no Christian organizations that were really combating that. So it gets to a point where from the very beginning of Hollywood, um, they tried to influence uh, the industry. To the end, they pretty much just walked away. And, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of a mystery as to why they chose to walk away. Maybe they felt like they were losing a fight, so they might as well just leave anyway. Or maybe they were tired of trying to read every single script and bless all the scripts that they could. You know, may, maybe it was just too much work for them. But now, uh, you know, it, it looks very different than the way it did in the very beginning. And so that's pretty much the history of Hollywood, and and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the history of Hollywood. I'll give you some snippets from some other things that we didn't talk about later on in the season, but just so you kind of are aware, the beginning of Hollywood was not inherently evil. It started off um, where the land was prayed over, and I, I've always loved that origin because I, I feel like the Wilcox's story doesn't have to be the end. Just because it seems like their intention is is failed now, I like to think that, you know, they probably prayed over that land, and I believe that God could change Hollywood. Um, it doesn't have to be, the way it looks now doesn't have to be how Hollywood will be forever. And so, you know, I, I just get so um, excited every time I talk about the history of what Christians did back then. And I think, man, what could we do today in Hollywood? How could we maybe influence uh, the movies? Or, you know, could we ever bring something back like the Legion of Decency or anything like that? Um, And so it it just gets me really excited um, to think how Hollywood actually came to be isn't the dark, evil story that we assume. It started off with the Lord in the center of it, quite ironically. And so I hope that uh, this episode blessed you. I hope you learned something. I hope you can walk away with something. Maybe it can be a party trick where you can, um, you know, blow somebody's mind at a get together. Um, Or, you know, if you're a pastor, feel free to use any of this um, for a sermon just for fun. But uh, I I hope that you enjoy this and I look forward uh, to our podcast later on. Thank you. For more information on Forgotten Hollywood, visit my website at chriswineland.com. You can also find all of my source material from this episode and other past episodes on my page as well. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at chriswinelandcomedy. We'll be back next week with another surprising episode of Forgotten Hollywood. And don't forget to come back each week for the next 10 weeks as we bring you the first full season of Forgotten Hollywood that is sure to blow your mind as movie buffs and believers. Thank you.